Thank you, Micah. Take your Bibles and join me and turn to Matthew chapter number 15 this morning. Matthew chapter number 15. While you're turning, we'll just take a moment to talk about the busy weekend that we have ahead of us. Um, yesterday, yesterday after, or after the service last night, it was about 8.30 or so, uh, I got on the road uh, to come home, got in at 3 o'clock this morning. Wife and daughter weren't waiting for me, but my dog was. And uh, so I petted Bella, and then uh, she just fell on back to sleep. But uh, anyway, got in. You know, there's sometimes in ministry where you do get in crunches of time where you just have to do it. For instance, this weekend the ensemble is going to experience that uh, after the rekindle conference the ensemble heads in a van to clifton forge virginia that's not typically what we do um but when you schedule something and you realize you've scheduled on top of it and you call to change it and the people almost just cry because they're so disappointed you say you know i think we can push through on this it's a wonder that people would want any of us to come to their church i mean you think about that i mean really and so it's an honor, it's a privilege, and so, uh, and they'll have four hours to sleep while Brother Robertson and I drive, so, you know, they'll be fine, they'll just, but you know, it is a crowded weekend with college days today, uh, we have prospective students coming this afternoon, and uh, they'll be on campus tomorrow, and then tomorrow night we'll start having an influx of people who are staying over for the Rekindle Conference. And as a result, I think there are six guys that are staying, six dorm guys that are staying at my house. And uh, my wife and I were discussing that. I had made arrangements with Brother Metcalf uh, last week or the week before. We were discussing overflow plans. We were like, we were out of space. I said, we've got to make room. I said, I'll, we'll clear out our upstairs of the garage. There's two rooms up there. And I said, we can use that. Well, I just, the problem was I forgot to tell my wife. And so at the beginning of the week... <laughs> My wife says, honey, I understand we're having some guys stay in our house. I said, yeah, I, I, I forgot about that. And uh, so uh, I think they're coming over on Friday. And, uh, you know, my wife's like, well, should we do anything for them? I said, just give them a place to sleep. And so I think she'll probably end up doing something to spoil those who are staying with us since they've got to be moved out of their bed for a whole night. I hope they can handle it. But... Uh, Anyway, so there's a little, lot of uh, moving and shaking, but that's a problem that I would gladly have uh, so that we can get more people on campus and uh, get under the preaching of the gospel. Tomorrow morning, our speaker for the Rekindle Conference, uh, Matt Galvin, will be preaching, and uh, you'll be challenged by Matt's ministry. Uh, he's a good evangelist. He helps with MBT. Uh, he, the Lord is using him in a number of different ways. And then he'll be speaking all day on Saturday for the Rekindle Conference, and I hope that you'll pray for that. I am really burdened that we would see kids saved at Rekindle. We're going to have an auditorium filled with teenagers, and doubtless there'll be some here that uh, have never responded to the gospel, and uh, I would love to see people trust Christ, young people surrender to the Lord, whatever the work is that needs to be done. I want the Lord to have His way, but I think it's important for us to prepare in that in praying. And uh, so I hope that as you have opportunity these next couple of days before the meeting begins that uh, you'll pray. And as you see visitors on our campus, 
uh, help them uh, any way that you can. Uh, those in college days, I think they'll be pretty much well guided through. But by the time we hit Friday night and youth groups come, I'm sure we'll have some uh, scattered sheep. And so if you see somebody wandering out there, uh, reach out and help them out and uh, let's get them, uh, let's make sure they're taken care of for the Rekindle Conference. I want to say as well, uh, thank you to all that were involved in the Missions Conference. The meal on Friday night was wonderful. Brother Ashley uh, put together a great uh, lineup for us to hear the burdens of these missions reps. And uh, there's no way that we could have navigated the week without his organization and without his help. A lot of our staff members just working behind the scenes, everything from putting up tables to cleaning the auditorium two and three times a day, sometimes for work-age students, uh, having to pick up after you. And uh, it's just the way it runs on a missions conference week, but it's well worth it. And uh, I think this next Monday night, if, uh, if it works out schedule-wise with the Dean of Students Office, I'd like to have dorm devotions. And I would be curious if you have any recommendations for missions conference, you know. Asking uh, a dorm student if they have an opinion about something is like asking a dog if he likes to eat. You know, it just, uh, they do. And so uh, anyway, come to Dorm Devotions on Monday night. And uh, if you've got some suggestions for missions, conference, things that were great, things that, uh, you know, maybe can enhance it, I'd be curious from your input as a student side of things. So uh, come to Dorm Devotions on Monday night prepared for that. So... Matthew chapter 15 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, as we begin today, I've got a confession to make. I've struggled with this passage for years. While the events of the story are plain, I've always been troubled by the exchange between Jesus and this Canaanite woman. Now listen, I know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I know that Jesus Christ is sinless. Yet sometimes when I read this narrative, I just felt like He was a little coarse with her. And I guess based on my Western Hemisphere mindset and my Southern mindset, I just always felt that it was borderline rude. You know, I was taught growing up when somebody talks to you, you ought to respond to them. I don't know if you were taught that way. I've learned that some college students have not been taught when somebody texts you and asks you a question, you should respond. Uh, just it goes into the abyss of communication and you don't know if they've been held hostage, they're dying, or they're passed out. But you know, Jesus doesn't respond to this woman's first uh, entreaty. And in, in this Canaanite in this story with the Canaanite woman, Jesus both does not respond to her and seemingly calls her a derogatory name. But you know, after studying it and after praying and letting God have His way in my heart, I understand now why Jesus responded the way that He did. And when I overcame that obstacle, the passage really opened up to me and it taught me a great lesson and I hope it will teach you this morning as well. Matthew chapter 15, let's begin reading in verse 21. The Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grieved, grievously vexed with the devil. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away 
for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep, or I am, sent, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, it's at the end of this narrative that Jesus gives this Gentile woman a great commendation when He says, Great is thy faith. You know, that commendation is great for two reasons. The first is who gave the commendation. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the Son of God, is giving this woman this award, so to speak. I was doing some reading yesterday about presidential medals of honors that have been given out in one particular president's administration. He gave out 89 medals. He gave out those medals to uh, athletes, to, to stars, to scientists, uh, to people of all walks of life, musicians. It's one thing to stand in the White House and to get a medal from the President of the United States, but it's another thing for the Son of God to say, Your faith is great. Just to be able to say Jesus gave her that award, that's a tremendous thing. But the commendation was great for another reason, and that's the substance of the commendation when Jesus called her faith great. Now, there's only two instances in the Bible where Jesus commends the faith of another person, and it's very similar, but it's interesting. Strangely enough, Jesus, you don't find Him saying, Great is your faith to the disciples. You would think that the twelve that were called to follow Him, who left their nets and followed Him, that maybe Jesus would give such an admonition. But as a matter of fact, it appears at times Jesus did just the opposite when He says, O ye of little faith. There's only one other person, a centurion, who was also a Gentile, that God said, Your faith is, Jesus said, Your faith is great. And you know what? Both of these Gentiles, I believe they knew what was the key to great faith. And this morning, I want to ask you the question, what is the key to great faith? Is it ability? Is it talent? You know, churches today put a premium on the externals. You know, we look at charisma, we look at personality Is that what this woman had? Did this woman have charisma? Did she have personality? Is that what thrust her into the limelight to having great faith? You know, some people as they read the story, they'd say, I'll tell you why that woman had great faith. Because she was persistent as a bulldog. I'll give you, she was persistent. Even when she acknowledges Jesus and He doesn't acknowledge her and she continues... 
She was rebuffed in very plain ways, and yet she continued to entreat the Savior. But I'm here to tell you, I don't think persistence is the key to great faith. I believe persistence is a sign of great faith. Some others have said, well, you know, this woman ought to be commended because of her desperation. Here she is as a mother. Her child was afflicted with a demon. He was, she, he was, she was in bad shape. And she was willing to do anything to help her struggling child. And you know, that parental instinct is to be commended, but that's not the key to great faith. Listen, that woman's compassion may be an outpouring of her faith, but her desperation and her persistence was not the key to her great faith. So if that's the case, then what is the key to great faith? I think when you read the narrative and you see how Jesus interacts with her and how she interacts with Him, you have to come to this understanding and hear me well. Great humility precedes great faith. Great humility precedes Great faith. In other words, listen, you can't be proud and exercise faith in God. You can't feel a sense of entitlement and exercise faith in God. The long and short of it is is that this woman humbly threw herself at the feet of Jesus. And when she did that, she put herself in the position to exercise great faith and to see a miracle take place. If I could say it this way, it's impossible to have great faith without great humility. So I want to begin by first of all seeing her request. Notice with me in verse 22. The Bible says that this woman comes to Jesus and cries, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. It's interesting, she starts out her request not asking for mercy for her daughter, but she says, have mercy on me. Some might think it's strange that this woman asks for mercy for herself and not her daughter. And you'd say, well, after all, isn't her daughter who was the one who was in real need? But I'm going to tell you, this woman's request wasn't strange at all. Why? Because this mother was suffering from seeing the affliction of her child. You want to know why she asked for mercy? She asked for mercy because maybe she saw her daughter foaming at the mouth. She saw her daughter just convulsing uncontrollably. Maybe she heard her daughter speaking gibberish and her soul was so vexed as a parent, she was crushed. I don't fault the woman for saying, Lord, have mercy on me. The truth is, few things move the heart of a parent like seeing the pain of a child. You know, for the vast majority of you here, you don't have any children yet, but one day you're going to see how your heart's going to be moved by seeing the pain of your children. I remember uh, our oldest son when he got hand, foot, and mouth disease. It sounds awful, and I'll tell you, it's not a fun thing. Uh, High fever, blisters raised all over your body, sores in your mouth. But what I found as a parent is I found that's harder on adults than it is children. I can still remember watching him lay lifeless in the bed. I can still remember getting with him in the bathtub in lukewarm water trying to get his 105 degree temperature down. And no sooner than he got over it, I caught it and it was the worst week of my life. 
You know, I can still remember the stress and the helplessness that a parent feels when you see a child like that. When that woman said, have mercy on me, listen, I don't think she was filled with selfishness. She was so agonized at seeing what was happening with her daughter. And the truth is, that woman, she did need mercy. And I want to tell you, every one of us in this room need mercy. Now, mercy is a favorite, uh, favorite word of dormitory students. When I was a resident advisor, I heard mercy all the time from offenders. Mercy, 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 mercy. Why don't you have mercy? You don't have to write me up for that. You know what I learned? The vast majority of people, mercy doesn't mean very much to them. It just means it gets me to the next week so I can do the same thing over again. That's why I encourage RAs to turn that. When you hear that mercy cry, it's okay to have mercy, but mercy should be the exception. It's not the rule. If you have a lot of mercy, you've got a lot of chaos. You've got a lot of mercy. You've got dirty shower curtains. You've got overflowing trash cans. You've got beds that aren't made when you have a lot of mercy. But even though the concept of mercy may be abused in the minds of some, listen, every one of us, we are in need of mercy. Mercy is pity and compassion that is shown to those in need. And both this woman and her daughter were in dire straits. The mother was distressed for the child and the child was distressed by the demon. I want to ask you, have you ever had any distress come into your life? You come to points of uncertainty, you don't know what else to do and your cry is, Lord, have mercy. Just the other day, Brother Bunn sent me a copy of school bills and such that are due and those that are overdue. And I know there's some view, you're like, boy, I, I feel this stress. And you, don't just under, you just don't understand the stress that I feel. Let me tell you, this week I do understand the stress you feel. You know why? Because in the next two weeks, we have to have $50,000 in order to get this next phase of the library project started. And it's time sensitive and there's so many obstacles in the way that you got a late start on fundraising and other types of things because of things that were beyond your control. And you sit there, it's stress. I understand financial stress. You're not the only one. There may be some of you, you come to a point in your life where you have this thing that's happening in your family and you say, boy, I don't know that I can take it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with coming to God and saying, have mercy on me. But I want you to notice that in this request, this Gentile woman uses a very significant word and a very significant phrase. She says, have mercy on me, Lord. This woman was a Gentile and she acknowledged Jesus by a title that should have been used by the Jews and she even acknowledged Him as the Son of David. Listen to me, this woman as a stranger, as an alien with no hope according to Ephesians chapter 2, yet she did something that even the Jewish leaders refused to do. She called Him Lord and the Son of David. You want to know why her faith was great? That's evidence of it. But you know what's amazing is this woman comes to Jesus. She uses the term Lord. She uses the phrase Son of David. And the next verse says in verse 23, But He answered her not a word. And that leads us to look second of all at Christ's response. 
Again, I want to be very careful. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is perfect. He is sinless. But when I read this time and time again, it appeared that His response bordered upon impoliteness by modern standards. Verse 23, when it says, He answered her not a word, Jesus either ignored her or He never heard her. Now, why would He respond like that? You know, ignoring someone is considered a sign of disrespect. But before you come to that conclusion, look at the entire story. The truth is, by the end of the passage, it's obvious that Jesus had compassion and care for the woman. It's just not very obvious at this point in the story. You know, the disciples, their response is interesting too. They ask Jesus, they're like, please send her away. Some commentators have just said that maybe they said, Jesus, would you give this woman what she wants so she'll leave us alone? And, you know, I I tend to believe that. I tend to believe that they're like, would you please do this and let this woman leave us alone? But yet Jesus, in His response, He says, I'm not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's at this point Jesus indicates He is focused on Israel. At this point, He's not focused on the Gentiles as a justification for not responding to her. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about Gentiles. It doesn't mean that Jesus was indifferent to Gentiles. Listen, many of us sitting in this room, we are Gentiles saved by the grace of God. It ought to speak volumes that yes, Jesus died for all, but it's at this segment that Christ has a focus on preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews. But you know, when Jesus responded to His disciples, He made it plain that He was sent to the house of Israel. And I think about it, this whole time, this woman is probably overhearing this. You know, I've learned college students are very observant. They like to listen to conversations that sometimes they're not involved in. You know, for some of you, sometimes I can be talking to somebody, you just park and you just start listening and I have to, I need to say, you know, social graces demand that you probably just keep walking, you know, this is... But this was not a conversation which she was totally detached. She tried to engage Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond to her. The disciples look at Jesus and say, Would you please get rid of this woman? And Jesus says, Listen, I've come to the house of Israel, not to them. You know, Christ's response to this Canaanite woman is basically a non-response. At this point, He does not directly address her. She speaks to Him, He says nothing to her. His disciples talk to Him, He says nothing to her, but she does answer them. But you know what we're going to see is great faith will motivate you to press forward even when you're met with silence. You come to a point where you pour out your heart and it just seems like nothing is being heard. You still don't see the plan. You still don't see any response. This woman had great faith because she did not let that deter her from pressing forward. Let me tell you, young people, you're going to experience difficulty now and sometimes you're going to be met with with a silence and it's going to show you your faith, whether it's great or small. This woman was so convinced in her heart that she just continued on. So the third thing I want you to see now is I want you to take a moment and look at this woman's resolve. 
After being met with silence and overhearing what, her, what the disciples said and what Jesus said to the disciples, she decides to speak up again. Now here's something that's very telling. I don't want you to miss this. Instead of welling up with resentment and entitlement, the Bible tells us that she threw herself at Jesus' feet and worshipped. You know, I think that there is an attitude that's killing us today, and it's not just evident in the current generation, but I think it's eating us up in society as a whole, and that's a sense of entitlement. One of the most destructive attitudes you can have in ministry is, You owe me. And there are some of you that, listen, it may think, you may think that the world owes you everything and you have all these expectations and you're so entitled. But I'm going to tell you, that attitude has crept into the house of God. It's crept in our mentality towards God Himself. I'm afraid some people at this juncture would have said, Now, I want you to stop and listen to me for just a moment. I called you Lord and I called you Son of David and you're going to treat me like that? Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you, if that woman had a heart of entitlement and not a heart of humility, her daughter would have never been healed and she did not have great faith. I'm amazed. This woman, her resolve, instead of sassing Jesus, you ever listen to somebody sass somebody else? Not even happens in college, it happens in families. You know, we just say, that. boy, I'm going to tell you, instead of making a cutting remark, the woman falls on her face and she worships Jesus. She bows down, she laid down prostrate, and she gave reverence. Instead of smarting off. You know, her body language spoke even more loudly than her words. And despite this situation that she's in, she humbles herself rather than just balling up her fist. It's amazing to me. Instead of this woman raising a fist at Jesus and saying, How dare you treat me like that? She throws herself at His feet. And it shows us her resolve. You know, in His first response to the woman... The first verbal response that he gives. Notice now what he says in verse 26. She says, Lord, help me. And then here Jesus answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. At first glance, to be honest, that, 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 that response seems to be very offensive. Basically, Jesus equated her helping, or helping her to throwing bread to children's dogs. You know, imagine just, and again, this is where you've got to be careful about interpreting the Bible 2023 in Bible times. But in our mind, modern mindset, if I saw you in the gym, now I could probably get by with it and I'd say, oh, you sorry dog, you're something else. I might, if I could say it with a smile on my face, not be very offensive, but if I just went up to a lady randomly in the gym and said, you're a dog. I don't think that'd set very well. 
not in 2023. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus said it with the same uh, attitude or the the same setting. But do you understand in our Western mindset, we sort of get there and we're like, boy, that's not good. But here's something that you need to remember. It's very important to remember what was taking place in this New Testament setting. The term dog was a common Jewish reference to Gentiles. I don't think that Jesus was using this term of personal degradation like it'd be received today. I think though it was a title of distinction. You had Jew, you had Gentile. The Gentiles were known as dogs. And this illustration of the children's bread and the dog, you know, that's a very relatable story for the people of their day. It was, it was common for households to have pets And the owners typically did not feed those pets the same food that they would consume. And so here you have the Jews were the children and the Gentiles were the dogs or the outsiders. So Jesus responds to her and says, listen, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. At this point, how many people would have said, I'm going to tell you what, if that's where you're going to leave it at, I'm done. But do you notice this woman, how she responds? First word out of her mouth is the word truth. Instead of getting offended and saying, you know what, I know that I'm not a Jew, but you listen to me. Instead of making demands, the woman had a heart of humility and she said, Lord, what you've said is true. But then she said, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She responds in humility. You know, several years ago, my oldest son, he bought a blue tick coonhound. Her name's Bella. And I had no idea that my wife would let us domesticate a hunting dog and keep her in the house. That was something in 20-some years of marriage I thought would never happen. Not that it would bother me, but I just never thought she'd ever let an animal do it. But it just came to where Bella would come in and, you know, all of a sudden she's just like now part of the family. And, you know, when we eat, we're very careful not to give her a place at the table. I still remember the first time she felt entitled to sit in a chair and just perch up there like she was one of us. And I was like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. Get down. And while we don't have that problem anymore, at least most of the time, you know, there's still times when we're eating meals at a table that she'll come over and she'll just set her head on my lap. And she just sets her head there, and every once in a while I accidentally knock off a piece of chicken. I've learned she's not a broccoli eater, <laughs> and neither are some of you. But you know, here's a story that 2,000 years later, you know, we still relate to. She said, Lord, I know that I'm a Gentile. I'm fully aware of that. But she said, even dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. 
Those dogs would catch those crumbs from the table. This woman wasn't asking for a place at the table. She wasn't saying, listen, I want to be up there with every Jew. She said, no, I know that I'm a Gentile. She was just being content with even being like a dog, getting, on, getting in on an insignificant part of the meal. This statement, I think, was her way of acknowledging, yes, I know that the Jews are your focus, but even a poor Gentile needs to get in on the action. And the truth is, her resolve was just drenched in humility. It was an entitlement like you owe me. You ever gotten smart with God sometimes? Lord, I came out here and I did all this and I'm supposed to be doing this and I'm in this situation. And we start talking to God with a sense of entitlement. If you're here today and your back is against the wall, you're growing or you're struggling, I'm going to tell you the greatest key. You want to have great faith, it has to be preceded by great humility. Instead of raising a fist, fall to the floor and worship. Let me ask you, when's the last time you were keenly aware of your own unworthiness and you came to God begging for mercy instead of making demands? It may be that some of us here, listen, we're not even in the running for having great faith because we're too busy telling God what to do and how it ought to be done instead of just being at His feet and asking for mercy. You know, at the end of this story, we see last of all this Canaanite woman's reward. Jesus gives her a commendation. He calls her faith great. And, you know, as I said earlier in the message, great faith was only acknowledged twice by Jesus, and both of them were Gentiles. And what would Jesus say about your faith? Right now, in this stage of development in your life, listen, I know that we'd say, I don't have the faith of an Apostle Paul. I don't have the faith of of a Peter or the disciples. Or I don't have the faith of a Moses. Or I don't have the faith of an Abraham. Listen, I want to ask you, are you growing in your faith or are you the greatest obstacle to it? Yes, I know the devil fights us, but sometimes our own pride gets in the way so much he doesn't have to do very much. She gets this title. It says, listen, your faith is great, but you know the last aspect of this reward was that her daughter was healed. I'm going to tell you, a few things will cheer the heart of a parent more than seeing a child doing a lot better. No more thrashing around uncontrollably, foaming at the mouth. If she was like the maniac of Gadara, she cut herself and cried while being oppressed by demons. And now the woman is in her right mind and at peace. And while I know there are many of you yet that aren't parents and one day you will be, be reminded of this, that you know the faith of a parent can have a profound effect upon the children. You know why some of you are in this place? Because you had a praying mother. You know why some of you are at this stage of your life? Because you had people that had great faith and behind you they were praying for you and they were making decisions and following the Lord Jesus. And listen, their lives have affected yours. And one day, hopefully, your life will affect somebody else's. 
Listen, the key to great faith is humility. You can have persistence, you can have desperation, but without humility, you don't have great faith. When I was a kid, one night my parents let me go to my neighbor's house, and while I was at the neighbor's house, my parents decided to go on an excursion and leave the house for a little bit. And while I was at the neighbor's house, uh, I just said, you know what, I want to go home. And they said, why? I said, I just want to go home. I don't remember why, but I was just setting my ways. And so my neighbor took me home. My parents weren't there. And I tried, to, I tried to open the door, and the door was locked. And I just got mad. You know, in the South, we have a term, it's called hissy fit. If you don't know what that is, go to a grocery store, wait a while, and when you see a kid throwing himself down in the cart and in the floor, kicking and screaming, that is a hissy fit. And I went into a full-blown hissy fit. I was hammering the door. I was beating it. I was screaming. And my neighbor, if we saw him today, he's in his mid-80s, he'd say, boy, that was, that was awful to watch you do that. And I was so frustrated and I was so angry. I, there was no way that I could get in that house. And you know why I couldn't get in that house? It's very easy because I didn't have a key. And I can't think how frustrating it could be to be at this stage of your life. The pressures of life have poured over you. You've responded in a way that's not been the way that you need to respond. And you may be throwing a spiritual hissy fit. And you know what? At this point, you're questioning. You're demanding. I'll tell you why you're missing great faith is because you're missing great humility. You know, now would be a great time for us to just stop our demanding God to do things on our time level the way that we want and to treat us the way that we think we ought to be treated and just bow our feet at the one who has treated us better than anybody has ever treated us. I hope that during your time here at Ambassador that you'll start to find the key to great faith. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation of Brother Robertson's choosing and while they prepare for that. Am I talking to people here this morning and you feel like you've been stressed? You feel like that you've been put in a box? You feel like that you're at a point where spiritually you're so frustrated? Follow the example of this unknown Gentile woman. And lay yourself at Jesus' feet and humbly ask Him. Know your place and let Jesus work the way that He wants.